And then by 98, I became a volunteer compliance officer. There was 20 of us picked from um, the southeast region. That means Georgia, uh, Florida, Mississippi, Alabama. Yeah, I was struck by that. What what does that really mean, uh, being a compliance officer? Well, uh, same thing. He's still in charge of that uh, area of of the Bureau of Land Management. Uh, We had a class for three days, and we learned about procedures. We learned about, you know, what the Bureau is looking for. So if the Bureau, which I've been working with for all these years, say they get a complaint or a call in... um, Orlando, Florida, and I lived in Mim. I would go and check that for them because they're stationed out of Mississippi. It used to be out of Jackson, Mississippi, is the field office I work with. I see. So say I had to go get a horse. I got horses in 2007 for them. They were over in Hudson, and um, I had to drive my trailer. I went over there, picked up the horses, brought them back to my center. Um, I was paid a mileage for fuel, and I was paid a daily rate to keep the horses at the center. Then it was my job to either help get them adopted out or I would bring them to another BLM adoption site or eventually they would come and pick them up. So So did that complaint mean that they would automatically, when you or a fellow compliance officer went out to that place where the complaint had been filed about, did that automatically mean by virtue of the complaint itself that the horse would be seized? No. Sometimes you just went out and did checks on it okay. just to make sure. And I hate to tell you, almost every time I had to go and check on stuff, people lied. Uh, it's just a sad thing that human nature is to lie. And I had picked up many Mustangs in horrible conditions by just doing compliance checks. So it was a good thing that they had us to do that because a compliance check, when you adopt the horse from the Bureau of Land Management, you sign papers stating that your pen is in the requirements that's required, and they write it all there for you. And that's where people lie. They read what the Bureau says, and then they write it what the Bureau wants, not what they really have. And then um, to top that off, they don't take care of the horse like they should. I mean, these are animals that need hay and uh, grain's not so important, but lots of hay. They need fresh water. They need an area to move around in. So, sadly, I've, I've went on many, many of my times. And quite honestly, I don't think I had anybody in full compliance ever. Oh, wow. That. That's a pretty bad track record. It is a pretty bad track record. Yeah. Um, and I have removed many horses from people. And the Bureau, um, and I was never, and see, the reason I stayed for so long, and I still could go and remove horses for them, is that I am not there to judge the people. I am not there to argue with you. I'm not there to belittle you. All I am there is I make arrangements that I will be picking up the horses. I bring my own trailer, my own panels, my own help. So I just need access to the land to be able to get on the land to get the horses off the property. Um, I've had to have deputy sheriffs be there. Um, on situations, the Bureau's having a problem with these people. They're making threats. Um, they will have a sheriff's department involved. Oh, threats like, hey, if you come try to mess with my horse or take my horse, there's going to be trouble? Yes. Yeah. So, um, so the Bureau of Land Management, when they set up their program in 1971, they had some really, really great people that helped set that up. Um, 
they had people that had been working with Mustangs for many years, and they came up with a safe type uh, pen to have them in, six foot high, uh, no more than, uh, it could be a 20 by 20. Uh, most people have 24 by 24 because the panels you buy today are that size. Um, of course, you have to have safe materials. So really, by the Bureau of setting up these guidelines, all they're doing is trying to help you. They weren't trying to be bullies. They are trying to give you a good idea of how to do this with these horses. And those guidelines are still to this day, 50 years later, we are still by those guidelines. So the guidelines so, haven't really changed over those 50 years? No, they have not. Huh. Interesting. So in 98, I had become a volunteer compliance officer. Well, I started just daydreaming of this center I wanted to make. So I had this lady, Maggie, I paid her $250 to draw me up a 15-page photograph proposal thing, and it was called Mustang EPC Accept, which stood for Educational Training Center. And I wanted to have this 25-acre training facility with where I would get 25 Mustangs a year. We would work with them. I'd have a team of people. We would have uh, where school groups and people could come through and see the training. We have a gift shop, a history building that had all information about wild horses. You'd have a little cafe, a picnic area. And so I was dreaming in 98 of having this. Mm. In 2000, that was like the first computer in your house. Okay, I, I finally had a computer in 2000. And I found that there were people all over America doing great things with the wild horses. And that's where I got involved with the wild horse workshop. Least resistance training concept out of Nevada was hosting workshops with the Bureau of Land Management. So I got to go all over America to be part of this. I was in Colorado, Utah, Oregon, California multiple times, uh, Kansas, Texas, Maine. And I traveled for years go into these workshops and working with people, working with the Mustangs. And the workshops were set up for five days of teaching people how to gentle and work with these horses. Hmm. At this point, I imagine the, the demands of your time at the, at the Wild Horse Rescue Center probably preclude you doing anywhere near that kind of schedule or that kind of travel. Well, I was working for an electric company at that time, Water mm. Power and Light. Mm-hmm. So I had paid vacation. I had been with them for 10 years uh, through my time I was there. And so I would have three weeks paid vacation every year. So I would take all those three weeks and go do these wild horse uh, events. Um, yeah. Bill Star out at Lifesavers and these other events. So in 2001, I actually took in my first private rescue. Now, up until then, I had been mentoring and helping people, going to get rescues for the Bureau of Land Management and, you know, helping place them. But for my very first time taking in a titled Mustang that belonged to somebody else, I brought her in in 2001. Um, that horse was another pivotal change in my life because in my eyes, up until that point, I felt that every Mustang could be trained rehab, riding horse, that all these horses did become something. And that particular horse, um, I named her Wyoming. We, uh, I worked with her, and I just felt um, that I couldn't make, make her okay with stuff. I really tried for okay. I did a clinic 
with, uh, it was called the Nonverbal Communication Through the Field of Mustang in May of 2001 with a lady named Ramona Sierra from Sierra Earthworks in Utah. And that was a big pivotal because we worked with holistic stuff like cranial sacral. We had Uplexus Institute come up. We had therapists come from Utah, Tallahassee, Jacksonville, St. Pete, all to our little town of Mims. And we did this two-day clinic. We did uh, color imaging, chakras, um, cranial sacral. Um, all these techniques was amazing. And Ramona basically said in all her travels around the world, she did a two-year study. And the study was how horses were like small children that could not tell you of the amount of the abuse and trauma. So these techniques, work on the body and the body tells you by the reaction of how the body is reacting to it what they've been through deep emotional yeah that yeah. there's deep emotional stuff going on and she said that wyoming's heart was shattered that hmm. she has so much emotional shattering inside her so on that note I decided that I was going to take Wyoming and bring her back to Dayton Hyde that I've seen in many years ago, Wild Horse uh, Sanctuary in South Dakota. So I had three weeks of planning, and August 31st, yesterday, would have been 20 years, I guess, uh, 2001 of August 31st, I let Wyoming free at the Black Hills in South Dakota. Oh, wow. And that was a pivotal, it made me feel so relieved of stress to let that horse have her freedom. And um, she was out there for many, many years. I have a photograph I keep here in my center, uh, 2013 of her in the Snake River, and she looked at peace. So I took many horses to uh, the Black Hills over the years. I've been there three times personally, five times, um, two other times I didn't go, but my horse trailer and horses went, and then returned to Freedom in California. I have horses. Spirit. I had a horse and another private sanctuary. Hmm. I currently have uh, nine sanctuary Mustangs sitting here on my property right now that would love to go to a sanctuary. But a lot of the sanctuaries are filling yeah. rapidly. And, and what, what size is your property currently? I'm on 42 acres. Yeah. And how many horses total? I think we have about 64 here. Wow. So we have a lot of horses. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I tried for years to get more land, um, but it seems to not be in my cards in life yet. Um, but I'll keep working on it. It might take me a little bit longer, but eventually I hope to have my own private sanctuary for these horses, for the ones that can't make it. Yeah. So in 2007, I had very dear friends of mine, uh, Debbie and John Driggers O'Connor out of, um, oh, by St. Uh, Green Coast Spring. And uh, Debbie and John had a very difficult Mustang, and that's how they seek me out. And I worked with them with their horse equipped. And John was like, well, why aren't you getting your nonprofit? And I was well, you know, it cost. You know, back then, even in 07, I mean, it cost, I believe it was about $2,500 to have your attorney do it and $500 fees and $700 fees and all this. So John and Debbie paid all my costs oh, wow. to get my nonprofit. Nice. So I can thank them so much for that because by getting that, that helped me now be, you know, for 
foundations to give to us or grants that we could get or even regular people to get a write-off. So 2007 was another pivotal point. I was going to name my place Mustang Excess. That was always my idea of the name for it. But when you Google Mustang, you get a cost. Yeah. I would I would have been in the car searching. Yeah. So that's why I simplified it and just said Wild Horse Rescue Center. Um, I had all sorts of names. I was going to be Wild Horse Rescue Rehabilitation Healing Center. And I'm like, oh, my God, that's just way too much to write. <laughs> so we, we kept it simple by just keeping it that, which helps because it puts me in a good search. If you Google Wild Horse, I'm going to come up. Yeah. And we should note uh, at this moment, because we're just about in the last moment or two of our time here t- together, Diane, but that the website is wildhorserescuecenter.org for people who want to find out more and look at some of the horse residents and some of the other work and things that are available there and opportunities to get involved as a volunteer and any number of other things. That's uh, the website really is very comprehensive in that way. So, so anything we're, as we are just kind of coming uh, to the end of our, our time together today here, Diane, anything in particular that you'd like to mention in our waning moments here? Well, I can say that this life work of mine has been amazing. So many people have given me a hand up to help me just like John and Debbie, just like uh, the Abraham Foundation and the Johnson Foundation and all these different foundations that help carry us at times. Because, you know, the economy right now, especially, is really tough on us. So we are definitely in need of always uh, donations, people helping. If people know that matching funds, uh, if their company matches funds, things like that, because it does cost to take care of these animals. We're doing an open house on September 18th and 19th. On the 18th, we'll be uh, busier with the volunteers that are coming here to help. And on the 19th, we'll be just if you want to come to the center. Um, Being outside is great. People, of course, mask or face shields if they want. Here on a regular basis for the volunteers, we are spaced out from each other. So we do get to enjoy our time with our animals and um, also being safe with any COVID issues. Oh, that's great. All right, Diane. Well, gosh, thank you so much for filling us in and all your, uh, really, it is, as you say, uh, really, uh, since the story goes all the way back in some ways to when you were three, it really is life's work with horses and especially uh, the wild horses. So, again, this is Diane Delano from the Wild Horse Rescue Center. Again, one more time, the website is wildhorserescuecenter.org. Diane, thank you so much for joining us today on Talking Animals and all your great work on behalf of uh, all our horse friends. Thank you so much, Duncan. And I love NPR radio. I listen to it all the time. So okay. it is definitely, definitely an honor to be on your show. Thank you. Okay. Thank you so much. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. In a moment, we'll hear from Agent Nakia of Compassion Kind about the organization's animal rescue efforts in Louisiana in the wake of Hurricane Ida and what donations of supplies or other kind of help that we might be able to offer when they, since they've been on the ground there. Right now, that we're going to step into the comedy corner with a piece from Eddie Izzard. may have a little more than uh, past relevance to our conversation with Diane just a moment ago. This is a piece called Horse Whisperer from Eddie Izzard in today's comedy corner on Talking Animals on WMNF. Horse whispers, very touchy-feely horse trainers. Oh, there, boy. Oh, how tall are you? Fifteen hands. Oh. You got fifteen hands? Go Martian. The Martian horse over here. Oh, I see. Fifteen hands. Right. Glad we didn't measure it in feet. Everything's measured in feet except horses, which are measured in hands. What happened there? 
someone should be, I'm nine bottoms tall, you know. <laughs> really, are you? Yes. See that building? That's 29 bottoms high. He's three thighs tall. Four kneecaps and a budgie gap. <laughs> horses measured in hands. What the? F <laughs> anyway, the horse whisper is obviously, oh, let's see. Horse is going, I can't, I can't quite hear what you're saying, actually. I tell you what I said was, why don't you... No, no, I still can't quite pick it up. Just seem to be going... Horse shouters should get a lot further, shouldn't they? Walk forwards, you, walk forwards. Walk, or I hit you with this. Child. That was Eddie Izzard in today's Comedy Corner with a piece called Horse Whisperer taken from his album Live from Wembley. Now it's time to hear my conversation with Agent Akia of Compassion Kind about the effort she's leading to rescue animals in Louisiana in the wake of Hurricane Ida. This is Agent Akia on Talking Animals on WMF. Good morning, Asia. Good morning. Thanks for joining us on Talking Animals today. So uh, we spoke about a couple of years or so ago on the show, but just I think it's probably important for people, to, those listening who may not be familiar, might not have heard that conversation, if you could just first provide just a real brief description of Compassion Kind. Sure. Um, Compassion Kind works on alleviating suffering by bringing more compassion into the world. Um, we focus a lot in disaster work, animal welfare, and in developing countries. Cool. So with that in mind, when did you get to Louisiana? And where exactly in Louisiana are you currently? We actually arrived yesterday morning, and we've been uh, stationed out of Lafayette, um, but we're moving towards New Orleans now that we've sort of got a lay of the land. Um, but we are working out of Oma, Laplace, St. John, the Baptist area. Um, those are the areas that have really been hit the hardest. Yeah. And can you describe kind of what you've seen so far since you did arrive? Sure. I mean, it's a it's a sad reminder of Hurricane Laura very much of last year. Um, lots of the same damage. We are seeing um, a lot more flooding this year. So a lot of houses underwater, um, a lot of vehicles stranded on the highways, and a lot of people still really stuck in their homes um, that are unable to get out right now with the flooding. And, yeah, that seems to be part of what I would think would prevent challenges for you guys because power is clearly out in many, many, many places, and then there's widespread flooding. So how much has that hampered your efforts or even your, the planning of your efforts thus far? It is very difficult because, obviously, we need to be able to get a boat into those areas. Um, so some areas we haven't been able to access just yet. Um, we've also been getting flash flood warnings since we've been here. Mm. So there's a lot of different um, variables going on. It's still heavy rain, lots of lightning storms. Um, so we're still kind of feeling the, the brunt of the aftermath of the hurricane. For sure. So the, first few, the first few days are always a little bit tough to kind of get your bearings and, you know, really figure out how to access these areas. But today we are getting into to some newer areas where the water has receded a little bit. Um, and then we'll we'll see, you know, if we can get more into the south by boat, um, hopefully by tomorrow. I see. And what size group uh, are we talking about at the moment? Um, right now, I have my friends at Operation Liberation with me. We have two um, from there. We also have some other partners on the ground. So there's around 10 of us right now. And then the rest of my team um, is coming up on Friday. So we'll have around 15 volunteers. Okay. 
Great. And by then, hopefully things will be clear or there'll be fewer obstacles, at least for certain areas. And then as some of those things get better, I guess that'll widen out where you can go to. uh, Exactly. Yeah. I'm assuming our listeners are the kind of folks who would want to support these efforts in any way they could. So what so far with what you've been able to assess, what do you need most in the way of donations? I mean, I assume money is probably always good and helpful. So if that's indeed a factor, where and how would people um, send monetary donations? Yes, monetary donations would be extremely helpful. Um, As far as what people have been really needing on the ground, it's been mostly gasoline and water. Um, But as far as animals go, we're in need of lots of food. Um, We've got medical supplies with us, but we're definitely in need of more animal supplies. We do have some um, transports coming up, so if there are people that would like to donate supplies that are in Florida, um, we might be able to coordinate that. But for any monetary donations, they can always go to our PayPal um, under Compassion Kind. We also have Venmo at Compassion Kind, and we have Cash App at uh, Compassion Kind Org. Okay, so there's there's multiple ways to make those yes. those done, and through the Facebook page as well is also another easy way to donate. Okay, so it's just Compassion Kind on Facebook. People just could search for that if that's if that if they want to find another direct yeah. path to uh, to donate. And then it seems a little more complicated, but just in case some people are listening that are in, in a position to help out with this, if they do have food, is there particular kinds of food that that would be more welcome or more helpful if someone said, "Hey, yeah, I can I can donate some food or I can help get you some." A, what kind is best, and B, how do I get it in your hands? Um, honestly, at this point, you know, any food donations are helpful. Anything that's a little bit uh, above Purina <laughs> okay. is really nice. Okay. Um, anything a little healthier, these animals are obviously distraught, you know, been without food for a couple days. So yeah. high-nutrient uh, food would be really helpful. Definitely a mix of dry and wet food. Um, we use wet food a lot when we're trapping and trying to um, get the animals to come to us. Yeah. So any of that is super helpful. Even treats are really helpful as well. And how, in terms of just actual logistics, Asia, how does someone, let's say I have food and I say, yeah, I want to send uh, some dry and some wet because wet sounds like it's pivotal to sort of reach them and lure them out, et cetera. But how do I actually get that from my hands to your hands? If someone is interested in handing that over, we do have a couple um, collection areas. So the best thing would be to reach out on our Facebook or our Instagram page um, or to send us an email through the website. Okay. And just say, hey, I've got food or I'm going to get food this afternoon. Tell me my instructions from there, and then someone will respond. Exactly. That's great. All right, anything else we should know? It sounds like it's still kind of in the first couple of days of uh, sorting out what's what and where you can go, but it sounds like you're getting that sorted, and some other folks are going to come help out in the next couple of days, so it sounds like it's really going to be super effective uh, pretty quickly here. Yes. I mean, the, the next biggest thing would be we will, you know, we are going to be doing transports of animals that are surrendered and animals that have medical issues that need to leave. Um, so we are working with some rescue partners up north, but we probably will be needing fosters um, for some of the special cases um, and any man- animals that might need to come back with us into Florida. So that's definitely something um, to keep in mind, too, as far as just help from, um, from home. 
know. Right, and I guess we could just, again, track the website or the social media pages to keep an eye Definitely. out for, for, like, hey, now we need uh, transport or we need somebody to take in these fosters while we figure out what's happening next. But so all those things are going to be continuously updated, it sounds like, on your website and your media yeah, pages. Yeah, we'll keep everybody updated. Um, we'll be posting, you know, what we're doing, animal yeah. being rescued. So, yeah, definitely go to the Facebook and Instagram page. And lastly, uh, Asia, any idea how long uh, you anticipate being down there, or is it just sort of open-ended right now just because you're still sorting out kind of what all needs to be done? Exactly. It's a little open-ended. You know, last year we thought we would be here a week, and we were here four months. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it really just depends on what the need is, but we're, you know, like you said, we're still in that assessment phase right now. Um, hopefully we won't be needed as long um, as we were for Laura, but... It'll just depend. I, I got you. Okay, well, thanks for making the time. I know you're super swamped, and I appreciate taking a few minutes just to uh, fill us in, and hopefully some folks will help out with some money, some food, some other things, and keep tracking what's going on online and in the social media pages generally uh, to see how we can help as you start getting animals out and need uh, transport or fosters for those. So thank you so much. Thank you. We appreciate it. We appreciate your time and featuring us, and um, we're help, you know, appreciative of any support from the community. That's great. Thanks again. Take care. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Coming up at 11, or actually at noon on WNF, the music kicks back in with Scott Elliott, the fabulous Scott Elliott. From noon to 3 p.m., a glorious three hours of music, followed by Robin Hooper with yet another three hours of music. And we just keep the music coming as we roll into our block of Latin programming and beyond. Meanwhile, on this show at the moment, as a prize for Name That Animal Tune, I'll be offering something fabulous from the Talking Animals Vault to the first person who calls 813-239-9663 and correctly identifies this animal song, which in a bit of mild multitasking also serves as a salute to Charlie Watts. It's Name That Animal Tune on Talking Animals on WMNF. take any guesses off the air because we have just about reached the end of today's edition of Talking Animals. Please join us next week at 11 a.m. Stay tuned for Scott Elliott after the NPR News headlines on WMNF Tampa. Thanks so much. Bye-bye.